Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, that is just a snapshot of what God did this year at Phoenix Bible Church. And, and as you watch that video and all the different things, and maybe for some of you who've been around for a little while, it, you remembered, oh yeah, I forgot we did the Harvey Relief offering. I forgot we hosted 80 or so people from Texas for a mission trip here and put on a VBS. And, and maybe it rekindled some things that, that God did this year. And you need to know as you watch that, that a lot of that happened through you. That as you prayed, as you served, as you gave, that God used that to accomplish what we saw in the video and way more than that over this year. And as we go into 2018, it's going to be the same way. I'm so excited about where God is taking us next year as we, as we recap this year. It's crazy to think about, isn't it? 2018 is upon us already, uh, but we're excited about what God is going to do. Uh, we saw what he did this year. I think he's going to do more as we go into our fourth year as a church. I'm really excited about that. One of those things is as pursuing a location. Some of you will, will know about this. We took a whole service and prayed uh, for this. If you don't notice, we set up and tear down this every Sunday, and so we've been looking for a more permanent location, even a full-time lease in the city of Phoenix downtown. And we have a potential place. It's not set by any means, but we have a place we're pursuing. Some of you have heard about that and prayed for that. And thank you for, for praying with us for that. It's exactly a mile from here. And we hope and we pray that, that God will bring this about. We don't know, but we're asking you to, to pray with us. We gave you an update on this on Thursday uh, through Church Community Builder. You should have gotten an email about this. If you're on Church Community Builder and you got this email, can you read that email? I, I know we don't read a lot of our emails. Let's be honest with each other. We're in church. It's okay. But read that email. I'd love for you to read that email. There's a prayer that I wrote just my heart, our heart behind uh, the idea of a location if it happens. And so we'd encourage you just to read that email. If you don't get our emails and you're thinking like, location, what are you talking about? What does this church even do? I don't know anything. You need to sign up for Church Community Builder so you can get our emails. And so if you are one of those people, go to the back, connect desk. Joe talked about it earlier. Sign up on the computer or the iPad. There's a simple form that says Church Community Builder. I think you have to give your name, email, and phone, and we'll sign you up there and keep you in the loop all that God is doing as we end the year and as we go into the new year. And as we do that, it's a great time to give. Uh, as we go into the 2018 season and, and all that God's going to do, location, otherwise, areas we want to grow and ministry and add staff and just desires we have, all of that is fueled by resources. And particularly at the end of the year, it helps us plan and think, okay, can we, can we do a location? Should we think about adding staff? And at the end of the year, as money comes in, it helps propel us into the next year. So I would encourage you to, to give generously as we close out the year. But more than that, I would encourage you to give because it's an act of worship. And you see, real quick, I just need to apologize for something. And it's, we don't talk about this enough at Phoenix Bible Church. Some of you, I've talked to you recently, and you're like, why don't we talk about money more? And I'm like, you want to talk about that? Okay. I can add it in the sermon. Like, I'll, I'll bring it up. And, and just felt convicted. And I think it's because I, I know there's people, and maybe not you in here, but there's people uh, in life that are, skeptical when churches talk about money and giving and, and you've watched too much TV and you've, you've just seen unhealthy distortions of that. And so I think my response to that maybe over the last three years at times was to say, well, we're just not going to talk about that. We're just going to preach the gospel. People will give and, and it'll just come in. The reality is we're missing out when we do that because money and giving generously, it's not just helping us plan for the next year. It's not. It's way more than that, that money uh, and giving of our tithes and offering is worship. 
Like a little bit later, after this sermon, we're going to receive an offering and ask you to, to give. And sometimes we can think in our minds psychologically, we think, okay, we, we sang songs, we, we preached God's word, we worship, now this is our response. And it is kind of, but it's way more than that, that, that giving, that time we give of our tithes and offering, that is worship, that the Bible is clear, that we get a joy through giving, because we reflect the heart of our, our generous giving. God, that we believe, Colossians 1, that Jesus is preeminent. Preeminent, that he's first and best. And that's over all things, in all things in our life, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And what better time at the end of the year when, when our culture is going crazy and the consumerism, chaos, for us as Christians to reflect the heart of a generous God and show that Jesus is preeminent, not just with our time, not just with our talent, but with our treasure. And so I'm sorry that we don't talk about that more. We should talk about it because it's biblical, because it's worship, because it's a joyous thing to do. I know from my wife and I, it's been a, a joyous sacrifice to be a part of what God is doing through giving. You can do that online. You can do it a little bit later in the service. But I would encourage you, if you're one of those people who has that skeptical view, to reorient your, your perspective and practice of giving around God's word, that it's worship. Not only does it fuel the mission, but it helps to see the mission and open up our eyes to a glorious God who is saving people, particularly in the city of Phoenix through Phoenix Bible Church. So, that's not the sermon. <laughs> this is the sermon. Week four of Waiting on God. We're in our Advent series looking at God coming literally in the flesh and, and these people in Luke chapter one who are waiting on God to come. And the title of this sermon today is From Silence to Singing. Silence to Singing. When I was in college, I went to Romania on a mission trip, and to be honest, I shouldn't have been on that trip. I wasn't really walking closely with the Lord at that time. Uh, a friend of mine, his dad was a pastor, and he said, hey, this should be fun. You might meet a lady. Let's go on this mission trip. And I said, sold, right? That's all I need to know. Some of you, you've been there, right? And so I went on this mission trip to Romania, didn't really know my Bible that well, was really disconnected from the church and wasn't living uh, rightly in my relationship with God. But I go to this uh, country, Romania, and I'm, and I'm mentoring these students who have no concept of God whatsoever, but they're really inquisitive. And so they would ask question after question after question, all kinds of things about God and the universe and how he relates to us personally and does he do that in the Bible. And, and I didn't know anything. I'd grown up in church, but I never really studied my Bible, and so I had to go back to Scripture every night. I remember it clearly in my cabin. I would go back, and I would think, okay, we asked this question, and I would look in the table of contents and think maybe in the, in the back of my Bible, maybe they have some topical stuff, and I would try to find the answer. And I would talk to other people and say, hey, can you help me with this? This guy's asking this. I want to bring back an answer with this. And, and every time I would come back, and I would point this one particular guy named Bogdan to Scripture. And I would try to give the best answers I had. And I did that for an entire week. And at the end of that week, I got to see this guy named Bogdan give his life to Jesus. It was the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of in the sense that at the beginning of a week, this is a guy who asked the question, can God relate to people personally? Like, I believe there has to be intelligent design, but can God really relate to us personally? Beginning of the week, the guy asked that. End of the week, he said, I want to personally commit my life to this God. And God used me, a broken vessel, who didn't know his Bible, who wasn't walking closely with the Lord, to make that happen, right? 
And I remember at the end of that week, I was sitting in church like this in Romania. We're about to go home, and we're singing songs. And I didn't sing in church at this point in my life. I was skeptical of the church. I was skeptical of singing. I just thought, no, no, no way these people mean that. I mean, they're raising their hands because they want to put on a show or they have a question. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on here, but it's not legit, right? And I thought the songs were lame, to be honest with you. And I, I didn't sing in church. But something changed then. You see, that day was different because a song came on, and the, the band was playing a song just like we just did, and it was a song from the 90s. Some of you may remember it. It was Light of the World. You stepped down out of darkness, and you opened my eyes and let me see. And listen, I, I do think I heard that song before, and I did think it was a little bit lame, to be honest with you. But that day, something weird happened. I, I began to sing. As I began to reflect on that week and on how God had worked in me and also through me, I began to reflect on this God who did. God, God, you did step out of of light and you came into the darkness. You got messy with us. That you did, you opened my eyes. I think you just opened my eyes. I think I can see now. And as the lyrics, the content of this song that I'd heard so many times and I thought it was skeptical and lame, I began to sing it out loudly. And I began to raise my hands and salty residue began to form in my eyes and run down my face. And that had never happened to me before. I was skeptical. I was silent. But God moved me to a place of singing, literally singing. But not just singing that song. God began to move in my life and in other ways. And I wanted to worship God because, because I'd seen God work in my life. I went from a place of silence to singing. Some of you have memories like that. Uh, they weren't on a mission trip. They were in a church. They were sitting around the Bible with some friends, maybe by yourself, meditating on Scripture, maybe some apologetics, whatever the case was for you, maybe later in life, earlier in life. And you remember being silent, skeptical of this whole church thing and Jesus thing, and, and something changed. Something clicked for you. You saw God move in your life, in someone else's life, and you went from a place of silence and skepticism to singing. Some of you have that memory. It's amazing to think about. We want more of those moments where God awakens our heart and we sing literally and figuratively with our lives. But but here's the reality. I know that for some of you this morning, you don't have that memory because that never happened. Some of you don't know Jesus. We love it that you have joined us this morning, but you don't know Jesus yet. You're still kind of skeptical and silent. And as you walked in this morning, people greeted you at the door and, and you're like, hey, like, I don't, I don't know if, I, if I'm comfortable with this. As we sang songs, as people did lift their hands, you said, I, I, don't, I don't know if I like that song. I mean, what, what does that mean? And you didn't, you know, like, I'm not singing this song. As we're even doing this right now, you're like, open the Bible and look at God's word. You're like, oh, I'm not doing that. As we talk about giving later in the service, some of you have already decided, I'm not doing that. Oh, you're silent. You're, you're skeptical. And maybe it's because for some of you, you don't know Jesus. But I think for some of you, you know Jesus, but spiritually, your arms are folded. Maybe you used to have that moment. You used to have that moment where you were awakened to God and and you were singing, not silent, but it's faded because of sin, sickness, or strife in your life. And in this moment, your your arms are are folded spiritually. You think, I'm not going to do that. Join a community group? I don't need anybody. That could get awkward and messy. I'm not doing that. And listen, my prayer for you today, 
My prayer for you this series, this Advent season, as we move up to the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, is that God would move you from a place of silence and skepticism to a place of singing. Literally, later we're going to sing, you would sing and declare God's praises, but also figuratively in all of life, that something would click for you today. That's my prayer, and that's what we see in our passage today as we look at the life of Zechariah. We were introduced to this guy, Zechariah, if you missed it, the, the first week. And, and his, his story didn't start with a song. And if you missed that, you can go online, listen to it, phoenixbiblechurch.com slash sermons. You can go back and listen to the beginning of the story. We won't rehash it all, but basically, Zechariah's story doesn't begin with a song. It begins with silence. At the beginning of chapter 1, this angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, who's advanced in years, along with his wife Elizabeth, who's advanced in years. That means they're older, beyond the childbearing age. And this angel shows up in the temple, Zechariah is a priest, and he says, you're going to have a child. But Zechariah doesn't really believe. He's a little skeptical. He's a little doubting. He's a little standoffish. And he thinks, how's that going to happen? I'm old. My wife's old. And so God shuts his mouth. He can't speak for the entire duration of the pregnancy. It's this way. And so we see a little bit earlier, Zechariah has to write things down on a tablet. He can't speak. But something changes. Like Dave just read it. We see this amazing song, this hymn that's proclaimed by Zechariah. And so how did Zechariah get from there at the beginning of chapter 1, silent, skeptical, to singing at the end of chapter 1? How does he get there? How do we get there? Maybe some of you, you want to, to, to experience that. You want to leave here singing. But you're like, I don't know how to get there. We're going to look at how Zechariah gets there. And the first thing we have to do is set this song up a little bit. And that's our first point, is that this song is prompted by obedience. It's prompted by obedience. The passage right before, the one Dave just read, the passage right before this song, Elizabeth gives birth to this child. The child that would be John the Baptist, who would pave the way for Jesus' ministry and life and death and resurrection. Elizabeth gives birth. This prophecy that at the beginning of chapter 1 that Zechariah wasn't sure of, it comes true. And just imagine, just like any new baby that's around, there's a lot of other people around the baby, right? Like, give me that baby. Let me hug that baby. Right? Let me name that baby in this case. Because that's what was happening right before this, this passage is relatives and friends and neighbors are around this little baby, John the Baptist, and they're thinking, what would be a good name? Oh, you know what? You should name him Zechariah. He'll be a junior. It'll be great. Like, it's a family name. Carry it on. Pass it around. And, and Elizabeth responds, and she says verbally, remember, she can speak. She says, no, his name will be John. And then they come again, and they say, no, 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 are you sure? There's no relatives with that name. Where do you even get that name, John? What kind of name is that? I mean, this was back in the day. John's a very common name now, but maybe it wasn't then. And so they're like, why, why wouldn't you name him Zechariah? And so Zechariah himself steps in. He can't speak, but he writes it down. He says, verse 63, his name is John. And you say, well, Tim, why, why is that so significant? Well, you see, at the beginning of chapter 1, when God speaks to this angel and says, you're going to have a child, it's not just any child. It's a child with a specific purpose, with a specific name. That in the womb, remember we talked about this? In the womb, God shows up and says, this baby is going to have a name, and I'm going to know him. He fills uh, 
Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit, John with the Holy Spirit in the womb. It's incredible. And it's very specific. His name will be John. So as we come to the end of chapter 1, and everybody else wants to name him something different, and maybe you've been there, and your, your aunties and uncles are like, what about your cousin's name? That's a great name. And you feel pressure, and they felt that pressure, and they say, no, no, no. Zechariah writes, his name is John. Notice he didn't say, I kind of like the name John. Or, I've always thought of a son and just looking at him, hey, Johnny, running around the house. That's not what happens. He says emphatically, his name is John. You see, Zechariah in this moment obeys the command of God. That he goes from a place at the beginning of the chapter of doubting to now declaring, okay, God, yeah, we're going to have a child. We just did. His name is going to be John. He's going to be this special person with a special purpose, and he obeys the command of God, and something incredible happens. He immediately opens up his mouth, and his tongue is loosed by God, and the very first thing he does is bless, is praise God, that this beautiful, poetic, prophetic praise is prompted by obedience. Zechariah obeys, and then he praises it's immediately after. His tongue is loosed, and he doesn't go around and tell other people. He doesn't go around and, and, and just say, well, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. And wow, I mean, he just, he just starts praising God immediately as he obeys. This song is prompted by obedience. Now, I know many of us don't associate praise with obedience. In fact, some of us recoil when we hear this word obedience. You see, we're a very grace-centered, gospel-centered church which is an amazing thing. And so we talk about a lot that God loves you because God loves you. God loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you. And that's exactly the case. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of anything we could have ever done. And that's an amazing truth. But sometimes we miss that we should have a grace-filled obedience, right? And you think about when you get married, that you have unconditional love. You enter into a covenant of grace with your spouse. Now imagine if you did that and you said, hey, she loves me unconditionally. He loves me unconditionally. And so now I'm going to go do whatever I want. I'm not going to really talk to her or hang out with her or do what I think she would want me to do. I'm going to go do what I want because I'm unconditionally loved. You wouldn't stay married that long. There wouldn't be intimacy in that marriage. You wouldn't cultivate a relationship. It's the same way with obedience. Are we saved by grace? Absolutely. But you need to know, again, as a church who probably is leaning towards more grace, and, and I want to be that church. I don't want to lean towards legalism. I want to be leaning towards grace. I want to have to wrestle with a risky grace. But obedience is pivotal, is vital, especially when it comes to worship, especially when it comes from going to silent, from silence to singing. That we see in obedience that God has designed the universe to function in a specific way. And that at the heart of obedience is really just falling in line with God's design. Right? There's just a way things work in the universe. There's a way the earth rotates. There's a way that you plant a seed in the ground and you water it and it grows. There's just a way things work. And it's that way for all of life. It's that way in the Ten Commandments that we're called to obey. 
You think about what's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments outside of worship God alone, don't have any other idols before me. The first commandment after that, remember the Sabbath. The first commandment after worship God, don't worship anybody else, is rest. Why? Because we're wired for rest. We need to rest. It works that way, that obedience is falling in line with God's design. That it's that way relationally. Ephesians 5, men are called to love their wives, sacrificially leading them. Women are called to respect and build up their husbands. Why? Because God's some killjoy? No, because it works that way. Marriage works that way. It doesn't work other ways. It works this way. If you will love your wife as Christ has loved the church, taking initiative, giving of yourself. Men, it works that way. It's not perfect, but it works. That obedience is falling in line with God's design. Women, that if you will respect and build up and encourage and love your husband, it's not perfect, but it works because you're falling in line with God's design. That's obedience. And so it's not that God is, is this killjoy or, or the strict legalistic judge who's checking boxes and thinking, like, did you just cuss? No heaven for you. Hey, what's that in your hand? Are you drinking something? Take that out. That, that's not the picture we should have of obedience, but it's, it's the picture many of us have, isn't it? And so as we look at Zechariah's song, we can't miss the fact that this praise is prompted by obedience. They're directly linked, that the more you obey God, the more you, you fall in line with God's design, you begin to worship him because you see it played out in your life. That's what happens for Zechariah. You see, too many of us believe the lie that if you really want to enjoy life, you need to run from the author of life. If you really want to enjoy life, you need to run from the author of life. You need to, to, to take the wheel yourself. Don't let Jesus take it. You drive. You do you. You be you, relationally, physically, morally, you do you. And you see this when you invite people to church. Some of you are inviting people to church for Christmas Eve. Amen? Some of you. There we go. One amen. You should invite people to church for Christmas. They're wanting somewhere to go. Even if they don't know Jesus, they think, you go to church, you see the nutcracker for Christmas, right? And so they want to come. You should invite them. And listen, some of the responses you may get this week, some of the responses you've gotten in your life, are this, oh, no, I need that whole church thing, uh, the religious thing, uh, the obedience thing, but I want to have some fun first. I, I, I want to drive my car first and go my way first in these areas of my life, and then maybe I'll come back to that later. And what are they saying? Maybe what are you saying when you've said that before? What are we saying? Is that joy is over here and obedience is over here. That following God that's over here in fun and pleasure in real life. That's over here. And it doesn't take us long to learn, experientially even, that's false. That that road of going our own way, it doesn't lead to pleasure, it leads to pain. Right? But that's what we think, is it's, it's a disconnect. And what we see in Zechariah, there's no disconnect. This praise, this glorious hymn is a response of obedience to God. They're intertwined. This hymn has been called in ancient history and church history, the Benedictus. It's Latin for the word blessed. That's how Zechariah starts off this song. 
blessed. It's a whole song of praise connected to his obedience. It's not disconnected. So when people say that to you, you need to proclaim that. We need to live that and show them what Zechariah illustrates, that praise is connected to obedience, not far off. I have a pastor friend who uh, yesterday just shared this story with me, that he was on a Sunday morning a long time ago, uh, had a heated argument with his wife. And he gets up to preach just like I'm doing today. And he left the house with this heated argument. They didn't apologize. They didn't make peace with one another. And he's up on stage and he's about to preach. And he just, he felt convicted to obey God, right? To love and serve his wife and apologize and repent to his wife and, and accept her forgiveness. And so he's thinking about that as he begins to sing and proclaim Jesus, right? And he does something really amazing as he tells me this story. He said, you know, Tim, I, I turned off my mic. And I walked down to my wife, and I said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I was like, was your mic off? He's like, yeah, mic was off. And she said, yeah, I, I forgive you. And he comes back on stage. I mean, just imagine that. He comes back on stage, and then he preaches. He said, hey, guys, I, sorry, I had to take care of something. I had to apologize to my wife in obedience to God. And now I can proclaim. Because obedience leads to a proclamation. It does that in your life. It does that in Zechariah's life. They're not disconnected. So the first thing we see about this song is that it's prompted by obedience. The second thing we see is that it's stirred by the Spirit. It's stirred by the Spirit. Verse 67, look at that verse. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who would empower people for special things like this. In other places in the Bible, we see this as well. He would empower people for special things. We also see the Holy Spirit... In John 16, Jesus says he's going to send us the Holy Spirit as a helper. Acts 1, he's going to give us power. Ephesians 1, he seals us. God takes up residence in us through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, we walk by the Spirit. And the whole idea there with the Holy Spirit is that we are reliant on the Holy Spirit. That's why Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit. That's why it uses that imagery, that, that we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit for something as simple and basic as walking, right? It's a complete reliance. That's, that's the Holy Spirit that fills Zechariah. And, and why do we need this? Why does Zechariah need this? It's because on our own, we are lacking. If you don't believe me, just read the news lately. I just scroll through your, your news feed on social media lately. We are lacking, Right? In all areas, we're lacking. In racial issues, we're lacking, right? In sexual issues, we're lacking. And I think God is doing something really incredible. It's, it's hurtful, it's, it's, it's painful, but God is doing something, and he's revealing that we are lacking, that areas we thought in our culture we were strong in, that we find pleasure in, we're now seeing, well, no, those areas are quite painful. We are, are lacking. But it's not just in the news. I'd be easier if it was just people out there that are, are lacking. But it's us. I mean, just try for this week. Take an hour, take a day, and journal your thoughts. Just write down exactly what you think. That's scary, isn't it? Some of you are like, nope. Not doing that. Why? Because we're lacking in our flesh. We're weak. We're broken. Like the system that we are relying upon, the self we are relying upon, 
It's lacking. I mean, just go work in the nursery. Amen? I mean, those kids are so sweet, but they're so sinful. And if you can't say amen to that, you don't have kids, and you haven't worked in the nursery and go sign up today. Right? They're sweet, but they're so sinful. Like just the other day, my uh, two-year-old daughter sitting in the back seat, and she wants a lollipop. And she's sitting next to my eight-year-old daughter. And, and we say, no, you can't have a lollipop. We've got to eat dinner first. And, and my little two-year-old kicks my eight-year-old in the face. And she starts crying. I mean, it's right after school. Not a great thing. She kicks my eight-year-old in the face. Why? Because we taught her karate? No. Because she's seen violence on TV? No. She's two years old. Why does she kick her in the face? Because she wants a lollipop. But because she's lacking. Right? You see it in the news. You see it personally. You see it in our little babies. We are are lacking in our self-reliance. And so God wants us to have a spirit reliance. And that's what he does for Zechariah. You see, it's prompted by obedience. It's stirred by the spirit. Then we're going to look at some of what Zechariah says and some of what he says as a Jewish priest. There would be no way he would have this concept. It's not just a song like that Zechariah White writes because he's artistically inclined, right? He prophesies. He declares God's promises. That's what that means. And it happens because he's stirred by the Spirit, because in himself he's lacking. But with the Holy Spirit of God, relying upon his Spirit, he proclaims God's promises. And so as we see Zechariah, he goes from silence to singing. How does it happen? He's prompted by obedience. He's stirred by the Spirit of God, just like you and I need to be stirred by the Spirit of God. And then he focuses on God's promises. Let's look at that point. We're going to actually look at this song. You ready? In this song, we see God's promises. The first one is that God visits and redeems. Verse 68. You need to know that's significant because God visits. God shows up because seemingly he hadn't showed up in a while. Like for Zechariah personally, remember, he couldn't speak for nine months. I would imagine there's times in those nine months where he thinks, God, are you really there? God, are you visiting me now? But not just that. That between the Old Testament and New, as Luke writes this, there were 400 years of silence that God didn't speak. And so many people at that time would think, God, you haven't visited us in a long time. And so as Zechariah says, God, you have visited us. This is a proclamation, an advent, kind of waiting, anticipation. God, you have, you've come. You've visited us. Through this little baby, John the Baptist, through Mary and and what she's going to have, this baby Jesus, who's going to be the son of God, you you have visited us. And he proclaims that. And you have redeemed us. That literally means to buy out, to buy back. Out of slavery. We get a picture of that in the book of Exodus, where the Israelites, they're bought out of slavery and they're set free. But we get that spiritually, that Jesus buys us out of our sin and our enslavement to sin, and he sets us free by his spirit. And so God has brought redemption. That's one of the promises Zechariah sings about. He's brought salvation. We see that in verses 69, 71, and 77. Salvation from sin and salvation from our enemies. Salvation 
from God and his wrath because of our sin, but salvation also from enemies. It's a, a salvation vertically and horizontally that Zechariah proclaims. We see God's mercy is a promise that he proclaims. Verse 72 and 78, that mercy, we don't get what we deserve. That in all of our self-reliance, in all of our systems, in our culture that we think are so great, that right now we're realizing are not so great, in our lives that we think, I got this, and my ambition is greater than any submission, and and all those things, and all our self-reliance, and all of our disobedience, that God has every right to wipe us off the map, map or to walk away. But in his mercy, he doesn't do that. In his mercy, he comes, he saves, he seeks the lost, he sanctifies us by a spirit that God has given us his mercy. And Zechariah proclaims this promise. He proclaims that God has remembered his covenant, verse 72 through 74. This covenant started with Abraham at the very beginning, that through Abraham and through the seed of Abraham, he would bless all nations. That's a promise. And Zechariah, all these years later, all these centuries later, is reflecting on that promise. God, you are a covenant-keeping God. You are going to bless the nations. He proclaims that promise. He proclaims that a prophet's going to come. It's going to be his son, verse 76. It's going to be John the Baptist. Luke 7, 28, Jesus himself says there's no prophet greater than John because he paves the way for Jesus, the Son of God. You need to know that God can speak in lots of ways. Throughout history, God has spoken in lots of ways. He could have, in this moment, spoken lots of ways. He could have spoke through thunder. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, Jesus is going to come. I'm going to prepare a way and just done it through a light show. But he doesn't. He does it through a baby, John the Baptist, who goes off into the wilderness. The guy was a little odd. But he uses John the Baptist as an instrument in his hands to proclaim that these promises Zechariah proclaims about his son and what he's going to go on to do, they're prophet proclaiming promises. God didn't just speak in the air. He spoke through people. And we get to see that in John the Baptist. We see in the last part that we get a light and peace. Zechariah proclaims this light and peace. Verse 79, that word peace is this Hebrew word shalom. It means more than just an absence of conflict. It means human thriving and flourishing. It's holistic. It's mental. It's physical. It's spiritual that we have peace. And that doesn't come through John. That comes through who John foretells and proclaims, and that's Jesus. John chapter 1. I love this part of scripture. John chapter 1. John has been doing ministry. He's way older now. He's out of the wilderness. He's doing ministry. He has followers. And in John chapter 1, something happened. Jesus comes on the scene. And if you can just picture that, John chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene. John's an adult now. He's been doing ministry. He has followers. And in that moment, John does something really significant. He sees Jesus coming, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know that verse? I love that picture because I can just picture and imagine John's doing his thing. He's leading his charge, and all of a sudden, he steps back and sees one who is greater than he, one who he doesn't even have the the right to, to undo his sandals, he says. And I can just see him stepping aside and saying, behold, look, listen, this is the guy that I'm just a sign pointing to a Savior, and he's gonna bring peace, complete shalom, light in darkness, 
Zechariah proclaims these promises. He focuses in this song on the promises of God. He's prompted by obedience. He's stirred by the Spirit. He focuses on God's promises, and therefore he goes from silence to singing. Do you see it? This is what I want for you. This is what what God wants to do for you. Maybe some of you are in that place of silence and skepticism through some sin in your life, through some disobedience in your life, through some self-reliance. If you're honest, this morning there are some things that if you were standing up here or just standing right there, that you need to go to somebody else and say, hey, I'm sorry, just like my pastor friend, and say, will you forgive me for that? As obedience to God. Some of you need to do that. And if you're honest, earlier when we were actually singing, you didn't sing because there was something in your heart like that. Unresolved bitterness. A prideful arrogance that says, I don't need to apologize to anybody. I mean, that's weak. And some of us have that. And God wants you to be prompted to obedience, stirred by a spirit, focus on his promises that he's just and faithful to forgive, that God forgives you through other people, and that God can make peace and light and darkness. And some of you need to be in that place and, and respond that way so you can go from silence to singing. Some of you need to quit relying upon your systems and yourself, and you need to look to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and say, God, I'm tired of my ambitions. I mean, I want them. I'm an ambitious person, but they're not getting me anywhere. I want to submit, which is so much greater when you submit to a holy and righteous and loving and powerful God. And some of you need to just declare that in prayer to God. What does it look like to submit to the Holy Spirit, to be stirred by the Holy Spirit? You talk to God. You surrender, you open-handedly give your life to God. Your money, your time, your talent, and you give that to God. And your spirit is is stirred. You're stirred by the Holy Spirit of God. And then you can be led to singing. And and then some of us need to focus on God's promises. You see, as we, we look at this passage, we didn't even get to it all. I mean, there's so many rich promises of God. If you just look at the nation of Israel and what it's leading to and the Messiah, there's so many rich promises. How often do you focus on those promises? How are you in this Advent season not just getting caught up in the chaos of consumerism, but instead experiencing Advent, anticipating the Savior who is to come, who next Sunday and Monday we celebrate he did come and he's coming again. That he came as a baby, he dies as a man, he comes back as a a risen king. How are you setting your heart and mind on that? I I know you got parties, and we have them too. I know you got shopping, and I still got shopping to do. But how are you intentionally cultivating this intimacy as you look, as you focus on God's promises? That's that's my last question I want to ask you. What are you doing? Are you doing anything with your kids? Are you doing anything to point them to God's promises that Zechariah proclaims? With your friends, with yourself, what are you doing to focus on God's promises? What I've been doing, just to share with you, you can do this, you can find something else to do, is uh, an Advent study by Desiring God Ministries. Write that down. John Piper, you don't need to know who that is. But just Google Desiring God Advent Study or John Piper Advent Study. And he's got a couple great ones. And what I love, I think this may be new this year, is he has one you can listen to. And so here's what I'll do. I'll go in my home office. And because it's like 60 degrees outside, I'll plug in my heater. 
that looks like a fire. It's not a real fire, but it's the best I can do. It looks like a fire, like it's blazing, but it's really just heat coming out. But my mind doesn't really realize that, like subconsciously. I think it's a fire, right? The ambiance. And so I'll go in, I'll plug in the heater, I'll sit down in my comfortable chair in my office, and I'll put on the Advent study for the day by the golden tones of John Piper. There's background music behind them. It's amazing. You should go listen to it. The first thing you do after you leave, it's amazing. Or find another Advent study, whatever you feel led to do. I prefer that one. And, and I sit down. I got the fire blazing. I mean, just picture it. Fire blazing. I got my coffee in my hand. And I'm listening to the golden tones of John Piper proclaim the promises of God and the coming of our Savior. And as I think about the shopping and my kids and the craziness and the chaos and my own sin and sickness and strife, I, I begin to confess and I begin to look at God's promises and trust in him. In the areas of my life where I didn't want to obey, I began to think, man, I need to reorient my life and obey in those areas. How are you doing that? It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to happen in a day. But God wants to move you from a place of silence and skepticism to singing. He does that as we are less self-reliant, more spirit-reliant, more obedient. As we focus on God's promises, what are you doing to cultivate that in this Advent season? Man, I want, I want us as a church, collectively, in a moment here, I want us to sing. I want us to sing literally because we have gone from a place of silence to singing. You should have by now, in this moment, a little bit, gone from a place of silence to singing. You just heard the promises of God. The Holy Spirit is in this place, and he wants us to walk in obedience and sing to him. And as we worship through giving through communion and through singing, I want that to start for you today. And I want it to continue and overflow and seep out of this place as you invite people to come with you on Christmas Eve, as you, as you walk in confidence, as you listen to an Advent study, as you do that with your kids and your friends, that you would proclaim God's promises just like Zechariah did, that you would sing. And some people could look at you and say, how did you go from a place of silence to singing? You used to not even like songs. You used to talk about them like they were lame. But now you're singing them. And not only that, you're, you're giving generously and you're, you're talking to other people about Jesus. You're loving your spouse. What happened? And you can say, man, I started walking in obedience. I was prompted by that. I was stirred by the Spirit of God. And I've seen his promises. I'm looking at them every day and they're, they're culminating in this worship and this praise and this singing. Man, I would love to see that happen for you personally, for your family, and for our church in this Christmas season. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, I thank you for the Christmas season. I thank you for the example of Zechariah to see his life, that we get the opportunity to see how he went from silence to singing. God, we want the same thing this morning. God, we want to sing and declare your praises and your promises that are to us. We know way more than Zechariah did. He didn't even know Jesus yet, and yet he's singing about him passionately. We know the whole story. We know that Jesus didn't just stay a baby. He died as a man. He rose again as king. And now we can worship him accordingly. We can trust him fully. God, I pray that you would help us to do that, that this moment as we give, as we take communion, and as we sing collectively and corporately as a church, that you would move some of us in here from silence to singing. It would be a glorious thing that we experience all week as we lead up to Christmas and to the new year. Father, help us do that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.